It's uh, great to be together. I want to welcome everyone uh, here today. If you're visiting with us, uh, we are the, we're part of the Greater Los Angeles International Churches of Christ, and we have different regions around the L.A. area and Orange County, and uh, we break up into different places in our neighborhood so that our friends can come out. And So if you're here for the first time, welcome. If you've been here, and I hope that you're really enjoying our services and getting to know uh, each one of us as well. And uh, I know that we're a part of an international group, and sometimes we have those that are visiting from different churches around the world. So if you're here, I want to welcome you uh, as well. Uh, today, I want to introduce to you Adrian Newsom. And uh, part of our ministry is that we try to reach out to different uh, demographics and different uh, parts of our ministry to help out with uh, some needs that are very specific. And Adrian's here today to talk about the uh, chemical recovery ministry. And that ministry is designed to really help those that had some issues and problems with uh, chemical dependency. And, uh, and there are, it, it takes a special skill and skill set, knowledge base to really help uh, those people. And uh, I want to introduce Adrian at this time to really head up an exploratory group to take a look and to see if uh, this is something that we want to proceed with and if there's a general interest as well. Adrian. So as Ken said, uh, I actually started participating in the chemical recovery ministry a few years ago, actually three years ago this month. And it, it was an amazing experience for me personally. It came at just the right time because at that particular time, my dad was starting to take a turn for the worst as far as his bone cancer. And, you know, really I appreciate the communion. And, you know, I can really say that I was one of those people who kind of turned to the other side during a difficult time. And so it was great to be able to participate in that ministry and really to be able to have tools and to be equipped. And it really helped to rejuvenate my faith, honestly. And during that same time, you know, our daughter Brianna was studying the Bible uh, as part of our teen ministry. And, you know, later on, my dad actually started studying the Bible and seeking God. And a few months later, that July 2012, they both were baptized. And I know, I know for a fact in my heart that I would not have had the faith and really to be able to participate and see the joy and the thrill of those miracles and to be a part of God's work in that had I not started to get some help through the chemical recovery ministry. And so I'm just grateful to have had a place to go where, you know, there was singing. There was singing to God, singing to one another. There was prayer. There, there was really a call, you know, back to the scriptures and really be able to have a great fellowship with one another. And so I'm not up here to try to recruit people for the chemical recovery ministry, but really to ask for your help and your feedback. And if you can just come up to me or my husband, Tony, during the fellowship and just let us know what your thoughts are on whether you feel like this is something that could help us here as a West Side family, or if you have thoughts, ideas, feedback, or input, uh, I would love to hear from you. So thank you. All right. It's, uh, how are you today? All right, good morning. I, uh, Lena and I are so grateful for the ministry here. Uh, we have some great preachers, don't you think? It's like, whoa, this is uh, really awesome. And we got, uh, uh, you know, just uh, some great speakers. I feel really fed this morning through the communion. And the contribution got me a little bit discouraged, though. I was. I, I graduated high school in 1984. And I was just thinking, dogs, if I just forgot about college... If I just, you know, I had a job at the hardware store, if I just saved some money and bought some stocks 
and Apple, my net worth would be so much more than what it is today. And I was like, ah. But anyways, I, uh, that's a great, we, I, I think, how many of us felt really like depressed afterwards? I'm just kidding. But I appreciate that. I appreciate the concept of really investing in the kingdom, uh, investing in each other. And I appreciate what George uh, said about, it's not just about money, but it's about time. You know, Adrian. I mean, she's, this is, was on our heart to really do that. Um, you know, I, I, I do my own little PowerPoint thing, and, you know, I appreciate the brothers coming up, Paul and Hanley. You know, from, from my beautiful PowerPoint, they came up and offered their services. So uh, they're going to be coming up with some media uh, style to really help me out. But, uh, you know, not only do we have some great preachers in the ministry, uh, we have some great cooks, too. So Lena and I have had a chance to work the crowd, you know, go into the ministry, and have had some great dinners this past week. Uh, Monday, uh, not only dinners, but, you know, I mean, the brothers and sisters are so talented. So Lena and I, on Monday, we had a German dinner. We went to the Shaw's place, and uh, Karen made this phenomenal German meal, uh, real hamburgers from Hamburg, you know. And then uh, afterwards, uh, not only was the meal fantastic, uh, she... Uh, she, uh, Mark, and, Mark and Karen did, did, did a little entertainment for us. They got the whole family down, and Mark and Karen sang Edelweiss uh, for us. And then their kids came down. You know, Tim and David, they came down, and they did a little skit with the, pup, mup, the puppets. And they sang together. It was awesome. It was like, it was transported back to Germany. And then on uh, Tuesday night, we ate at home and uh, had a great meal. Wednesday night... Uh, Lena had to do the uh, lesson for the women, so I, I think I, I had top ramen that night. Uh, and then on Thursday, we went to the Pellerin's house. If you haven't been to the Pellerin's house, you've got to go to the Pellerin's house. And uh, Jean did this phenomenal feast and, uh, you know, homegrown tomatoes. Uh, just incredible. And, you know, Jean is so humble. She goes, oh, I just threw this together. It's a, it's a work night. I just threw it together. It's like... You know, like course after course, and it was just awesome. Now, the entertainment, uh, Jean is from New York, so there wasn't much of an entertainment. She just talked, and we just listened. So that was pretty much the entertainment that we had. So then uh, on Friday night, uh, we uh, had time with uh, Paul and Charlene at their house. And then, uh, you know, uh, Miguel and Myrna came over as well, their neighbors, and we had this incredible Indian uh, dinner topped off with some awesome de- pineapple cake dessert. And we had the kids together for entertainment. Uh, you know, they did this Bollywood dance. And the whole family got into it. And, you know, Charlene did this whole Bollywood thing. And I can tell, though, that Paul and Miguel weren't really into it. I can tell. I can tell. They were just, like, just going along. And I appreciate their hearts. But uh, Lena and I are just so grateful for this group, and uh, it inspired really our lesson for today. And uh, it's called The Church. And we want to really think about what the church is and how it really is a gift from God. You know, uh, as we begin a new chapter in the West, there have been numerous brothers and sisters that have come up and said, you know, we need a mission statement. We need a mission statement of who we are. And I thought about that for a while, and I go, wow, that's such a tough thing, to be honest with you, to come up with a mission statement for the church of God. 
It's so all-encompassing. You know, the church, what is it? What does it do? And it's almost as if whatever we come up with, it's going to be lacking. Now, it doesn't mean that we, don't, we can't try, but I'm just telling you, that's just my first thought, is that it's just so all-encompassing. In the uh, first century BCE, Hilea was uh, a sage, if you will, uh, during that time. He was a Jewish sage. And uh, somebody came up to him and asked him, he says, how would you define the Old Testament, basically? He says, that which is despicable to you, do not do to your fellow. This is the whole Torah, and the rest is commentary. Go and learn it. So really, the guy came up to him and wanted to be converted. And he says, convince me that what you have is true. And, and really, according to legend, it was like, can, if you can tell me in your mission statement while standing on one foot, if it is something that is compelling to me, I'm going to convert to Judaism. And that's what he came up with. And he came up with really kind of like the golden rule of his day. And, you know, this sounds really familiar, right? Because it is what Jesus took in a sense. Well, Jesus is the Word of God. But Jesus rephrased this in the positive. Because in the Old Testament, it was like, it's almost like, you know, if you don't like this to be done to you, don't do it to other people. And that sums up the whole Torah. Jesus used it and reversed it. And in Matthew chapter 7 said what? He says that whatever, you know, do unto others as you have them do unto you. You know, I had a discussion with one of the brothers the other day. He says, you know, the New Testament is so much more. It's so much more. You know, in the Old Testament, you know, God commands us to give a tithe and to give our very best to God. Give, us the, give God the first fruit. In the New Testament, you don't really see that that was the limit. That was a starting point. And it was more of like to give our very, very best. Let's take a look. Who do I point this to? You? In Matthew 7, it says, So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. You know, Jesus goes so much more. The New Testament goes into, you know, what does this translate into? It says, love your neighbor as yourself. It's active. It's proactive. It's not just on a defensive state, but it's engaging. It's going out and making things happen. You know, what is the mission statement of the church? Look at this, and, and we're going to really see how hard that really is to define. In the book of Ephesians, Paul says this is, his intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realm according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, what did Paul say? Paul says, well, what is the mission statement? He says, it's really tough to define. He says, it's almost impossible to summarize what God's church is. It's the manifold wisdom of God. You know, that word manifold has become kind of like a geological word. It's, it's, it means... It means multicolored in gems. It means uh, really just the, the, the radiance of these different colors coming together to create one color. Manifold wisdom. You know, the expository Bible commentary says, manifold is a special poetic adjective meaning very, very. That's, that's a mouthful. Nowadays, it's a technical term in theology Specifies, uh, just uh, specifying 
unusually assorted crystals. The wisdom of God displayed in creation, embodied in Christ, is a many-splendored thing, iridescent with constantly unfolding beauties. Isn't that great? It's saying that we're changing and growing all the time. It's not a static situation. It's a dynamic situation. And that all these things come together to, to really build up what the church is. You know, what was great back then maybe is not so great today. What, was, what worked back then maybe needs a little, little bit of a refreshing. You know, I appreciate our soul service. I appreciate Tim. You know, Tim's an old Church of Christ guy. So he knows all the hymns. He knows all of that. You know, he's like, he's like, uh, he's like, um, he's like the 80s channel. You know, Tim is 98s. I'm just kidding. You know, he's like the 80s channel. He's got all these 80s music, which I love. But, you know, he's trying, he's doing a lot of new stuff as well. Because if we're always stuck in the 80s, even though it's the best music ever, um, it gets a little bit boring, right? And it's not relatable to those that are in this generation. So we try to mix up traditional hymns and the new things as well, the new, new style as well. Well, what does that mean, though? That means, that, you know, in terms of not just only music, but it means in this congregation, in this fellowship, I look at the teens. You guys are up and coming. There are things that you offer that other groups cannot in this group. Multicolored, very, very, very. There are things that you offer the enthusiasm and, and then the, 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 the questions that you have. It, it, it adds to our fellowship in ways that you'll never know. The singles as well. Singles is such a phenomenal place, you know, in, in life, isn't it? You get to do things that us marrieds, we can't do. It's like married people, well, hey, let's get together. Let me check my calendar. How about November? How does that sound to you? It's a great month. You know, I'll squeeze you in between Thanksgiving and after I do the dishes and, and, and Christmas. You know, it's like it takes forever to do something. You know, singles, you can take more risk at this stage in your life. You get to date. You get to figure out, you know, who really is you know, the one for me. You know, it's like you get, you get to do all that stuff. You know, so it's, it's a, you offer something risk-taking. You know, the faith that can inspire the Marys. You know, one of the things that we, we really want to do more of is to really help each other. You know, there are things that the Marys can offer to you. You know, I know a lot of the singles and a lot of the campus, I know you're going to start day trading because of the marriage ministry, of the regrets that we have had. We messed up. You know, you, you, you can benefit so much from, from each other. We can. You know, Jesse Jackson, I'm not a big fan of politics and religion mixing at all. He did say something that was great about America. You know, I was born in Vietnam, and uh, we came to America in uh, 1975. And uh, my dad worked for the State Department, and he had a choice. Uh, when we immigrated over, because uh, the war was winding down, he had a choice. He says, they said, you can go to Arkansas, or you can go to San Francisco. Thank you, Dad. That was such a great decision. We, <laughs> we lived in San Francisco. Uh, nothing against Arkansas. I'm just saying I'm a, I'm a city person. Um, but I love San Francisco because it's multicolored. It's, it's got a lot of stuff that is offered, that is not offered in many, many other places. You know, so I think that, you know, we have a great opportunity to really help each other 
in the church. And we can use each other, skills and talents, to really um, build up God's church. You know, God promises the kingdom, but instead we get the church. You know, this is from a dour French philosopher, I think. Um, I tried to look up who it was, but he's so ashamed of what he said that he didn't even take credit for it. Um, And I say this because of this, because there's a truth to it. There is a truth. You know, God promises the kingdom and all the grandeur of a kingdom, but yet through time, you know, people have a funny way of messing things up. People have a funny way of putting our own opinions into things and, and demanding that it is and insisting that this is the way to go and really define it for what it is. Yeah, I appreciate, you know, one of our girls uh, read about the Jeffersonian Bible. You know what the Jeffersonian Bible is? He read the Bible, didn't like a bunch of stuff in it, took a little uh, knife, exacto knife, if you will, back then. He just cut out all the pieces that he didn't like. And it became known as the Jeffersonian Bible. And guess what? The Jeffersonian Bible reflects whose belief? Jefferson. That's why it's called the Jeffersonian Bible. You know, the problem with the world today is not overly committed Christians. The problem today is Christians. Are Christians is Christians that are not committed to the way that God wants us to. To really listen to the word and really obeying it to its fullest. And hence you get this. You know, God promises the kingdom, but oh God, we get the church instead. And let me tell you this. Despite all the problems of the church, despite all the things that it goes through, and God allows it, all the imperfection of all the people that consist in the church, yeah, it leaves room for what? It leaves room for love. It leaves room for forgiveness. It leaves room for patience. It leaves room for all those things that glorifies God. I want to talk about the church today. The church. We're going to look at the book of Ephesians, and a subtitle I thought was a primer, but all of you guys have been around for so long, you you already know what it is. So I changed that into a refresher. A refresher. Today we're going to look at a refresher of what God's intent for the church to be. You know, what do we need to know about the book of Ephesians? Ephesus was a major center. It was a gateway to Asia Minor. Paul was there for three months. He was there several times, I think, a couple times at least. He was there for three months in Acts, I think, 18 or something, or 19. And he was there again for about three years. Ephesus was one of the major centers of, of that time. And it was a major center not only for commerce, but it was also a major center for uh, Christianity as well. Paul, it seems like he used these major cities as a staging ground to help other churches and other cities as well. And I see L.A. as being one of them, and particularly where we live today. It's such an influential place in the world. You know, Elizabeth came back from, from Europe, and I asked her, what are the Europeans like? Are they really Europeans? I said, yeah, they're really Europeans, Dad, but they listen to American music. They watch American movies, and they love American movie stars. America does have a place of exporting, you know, culture. And L.A. is so, so uh, is in the forefront of that. You know, Paul started the church. Uh, he worked in the church, and, uh, you know, it was continued by Apollos and Priscilla and Aquila. And, uh, you know, at the end, 
in Revelations 2, even though it was a great church, it needs a little bit of a realignment every once in a while in Revelations 2. Jesus himself encouraged the church for all the great things that she had done, but he also rebuked her because uh, they had forgotten their first love. They lost that first love. And Jesus says, you've got to get that back. You know, I have four points on what a church is, according to the book of Ephesians. Let's turn our Bibles there, okay? It's going to be a mixture of PowerPoint, and it's going to be um, of just good old-fashioned getting into the Word. Amen? I did the electronic Bible for a while, and I just felt like, you know, it was good for me to go back to just the pages. You know, just to be able to feel the books, and I love the feel and the smell of a new Bible. It's just, it's just something that I really like. I get to mark it. I get to really look at it. And um, now that we have Gabby, you know, when we were younger, when the kids were younger, they saw us read our Bibles every day. Now with Gabby, she thinks I'm watching YouTube because I have it on, like, my iPad. So that's one of the reasons why I changed back to the, the, the Bibles. I want Gabby to see that Dad's in the Word. I mean, that's, there's a strategy. You know, you got to outwit these three-year-old kids. You, you, you got to just think ahead. Like, they're just, like, watching you, and you just got to beat them to the punch, you know? There are four things that I want to take a look at, and they're not exclusive. They're, they're just four things that I, I thought of. There are plenty of other things. Remember, panoply wisdom of God, you know, multi-varied color, all that stuff. First of all, what is the church? It is a family. Foremost, it is the family of God. We did not, we were not called into an organization. We were called into God's family. Let's read together in verse 3. It says, praise be to God. And Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessings in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his son through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put in effect when the times will have uh, reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under the head, even Christ. In him we were chose, also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him, who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we, who are the first hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. Wow, what a mouthful. And it's all blessings. You know, sometimes we get in trouble because we don't know who we are as Christians. I really think that's really like one of the number one problems that we have today in our lives is that we don't know who we are. You know, we, we get all caught up, and we get all messed up, we get all depressed. And we go, man, I don't have this, I don't have that, but we forget to realize of what we do have. We were adopted as sons. And maybe the new, new international version says sons and daughters, but, you know, here in the new international says sons. And some of you sisters out there says, you know what, that's not cool. 
you know what? It's good to be a son because in those days, sons get the inheritance. It's okay. And me, as a man, I also feel bad sometimes when I am called the bride of Christ. I feel a little weird about that. You know, it's okay. It's okay. It's just a little thing. It's no big deal. But we get the main points, amen? And we're called to be sons. We're called to be greats. I love the scripture because it says that we are given knowledge and wisdom. And sometimes I don't feel like very wise. Sometimes I don't feel like I don't know a whole lot. I feel like I don't know a whole lot. But the Bible says that he's given us that's in there. It's inside of us. We just have to figure out how to get it out. Amen? I love the scripture here. He says in verse 13, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. You know, each one of us who are disciples today, we don't have to worry about the $400,000 that we lost, or could have, the opportunity cost. We are set to inherit this inheritance that Paul says, I can't even describe to you. There are no words that are capable of describing what we will inherit in, in, in the life that is to come. I love that scripture. He says, there is a seal, there's a, there is a deposit guaranteeing our salvation. Isn't that cool? That is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was put on us as a deposit. It's a deposit of things to come. A deposit is not the full payment or the full, you know, uh, reward. The deposit is only a fraction of what is to come. And the church, the potential of the church is really is a sample of what can be. Sweet fellowship with God and with each other forever. I guess what I'm saying is that it is what we make it to be. You know, a lot of people get in trouble because they become Christians. They think, well, you know, if I get married, it's going to be bliss. It's going to be great. I'm a Christian. It's not true. That's what I've learned. It's not true. It's, it's true. It's true. It's true. But it's not true. It's true. It's true. It's very true. Very true. Oh, my gosh. Very true. Um, what I'm saying, what I'm saying is that there's a potential. God has given us the tools to have a great marriage, to have a great relationship. If we rely on those words that God gives us. Amen? It's a family. We can make it great, guys. You know, um, I tell you, this new chapter in the West, we can make it together. We can make it great. I, you know, I appreciate Paul and Hanley. I, like I said, they came up to me, and after, you know, they saw my PowerPoint, I guess it inspired them. <laughs> it's amazing what a bad PowerPoint can do, you know. It's like they came up and they said, we can do better. You know, they didn't say it that way. They said, we, we, can, we can help you. We insist, as a matter of fact, on helping you. Um, so they're coming up with all kinds of stuff to help me. You know, the church in the book of Acts is this. is that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with all. Many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. They... The word here was, instead of chemical dependency, they, you know, this word here is really strong. They devoted themselves. It was almost like they were addicted to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to the fellowship. 
uh, and to prayer. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling the possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. I know that there are some Republican brothers in this group. And you look at that script, you go, man, that socialism is not. It's not. It's not even close. You know why? Because socialism is force, and it's something that's it's, it's commanded. Here, it was volunteer. They, they, they just gave out of the overflowing of their hearts. They saw the needs, and they met those needs. For every day, they continued to meet together in their temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. You see the glimpse of what the church was like. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And at that moment, they enjoyed the praises of the people. They had a good reputation with their community. Let's continue. As the church kept on going, look at what happened in Acts chapter 5. You know, the Bible says that uh, it went along really well. And then in Acts chapter 5, there was a couple that was very comfortable in the church. And they loved the church, and it became more something that they did for show rather than something that was inside of them. Instead of really pleasing God, they lost their focus. They tried to please man, and they tried to look good. And let's turn our Bibles there in Acts chapter 5. He says, Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself. But he brought the rest and he put it at the apostles' feet. And you know the rest of the story. What happened was that they sold the property to give it to, to, to the church. But instead of giving the full amount, they kept back a part for themselves. Which is not the problem in itself. What was the problem? The problem was that they gave a false representation of what they actually give, gave. You know, you don't have to say anything to lie. Deceitfulness is, is some of the best deceit is unspoken. Is a misrepresentation of who we are. That's why last week was so important for us to talk about does the inside and the outside, do they align together? And are we humble enough to really be open about our lives? And you read the rest of the story, it's pretty tragic. They both died. And fear went throughout the whole church. You know, why am I contrasting Acts 2 versus Acts 5? Because I want us to see that the church is not just about being nice to each other. The church is not just about, you know, this kumbaya feeling. It's about reverence for God. That this is not an organization. This is not a club. What we do, actually, God looks at and he weighs out the thoughts and the attitudes of the hearts. Even though we are a family, it's a true family where we speak the truth to one another. That's got to be a true function of what a family is, a good family. You know, good families speak the truth in love to one another. They're progressive. They're, they're, it's functional. It's working. It's, towards, it's moving on towards something else. I don't know about you. I read that scripture every once in a while. It scares me. He does. He's like, God is not. You know, he, he loves us. But man, when we do stuff that messes up the church, he, he takes it pretty seriously. Why? Because other people's salvations are dependent on it. You know, the guys that we see walking around Culver Boulevard, 
The people that we see on Santa Monica Boulevard, how do we relate to them? We relate to them a lot. We are the hope in many ways for them. Not just individually, but collectively as well. What is the culture of our church? Is it God-fearing? When people come in, do they see God in us? You know, um, in Acts chapter 5, the Bible says what? It says that uh, people were afraid of the church. So you see a contrast, not really a contrast, but a compliment of Acts chapter 2, where they gained the favor of the people. And in Acts chapter 5, where the church was feared as well. So these things are not mutually exclusive of one another. They were in combination and they were concurrent with one another. Meaning what? Meaning that people love the church, but at the same time they saw it and they saw the power in the church and they were afraid of the church as well. Is that who we are today? People come in and they go, wow, this is loving. And they love it, but there needs to be a little bit of fear as well because they know they come in there's going to be some changes involved. And not only outside and people coming in, but within our fellowship as well. It's a hospital. The church is a hospital. It really is. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 2. The church is a hospital. It is. In Ephesians chapter 2, in verse 1, it says, But as for you, you are dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the rulers of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. You know, when I think about objects of wrath, I think about ants, I think about silver what do you call those things? I'm, I'm unpacking my bags and I see them. My, those box? Silverfish, right? Are they dangerous? No, okay. So I see them. I go, well, you know, I'm, I'm just not a bug guy. I hate bugs. And I squash them, you know. It's like they are objects of wrath. I have absolutely no use for them. You know, no need, no use. I don't want to see them. You know, they're just like stomping on them. You know, the Bible says that we were by nature objects of wrath. That we were dead on arrival. And God says it is by grace that we've been saved. It is a hospital. And we're all patients at one point or another and continue to be as well. But it's not only a hospital, but it's a rehab. You know why? Because if it's a hospital that doesn't get people well, if there's another name for that. It's called a hospice. And if people actually don't get well and they actually die a lot, it becomes a morgue. So it's not, we're not only a hospital. The hospital is, is it's, it's to get people healthy and strong. You know, as Christians in the church, there is a time when we struggle with things, but man, if we just struggle over and over and over again without getting better. It's discouraging. You know, we're called to get well as well. And I'm not talking about, you know, I'm not trying to be insensitive. I'm talking about the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of God's church 
to really get us strong and well in every area. Every area. You know, in the Old Testament, what did David pray for? What did he, he says, you know, find out whatever is offensive in me. Our personalities. Some of our personalities, guys. I'm talking, I'm, I'm talking about myself, too. I don't even know you. So that's why I'm saying, you know, it's not, it's not personal. I'm talking about in general. We come in and God, it's, it's like, let's, let's open it up and let's see what's really inside. And David figured that out. He says, whatever is offensive there, believe it or not, there are things that are in us that we've accepted that are offensive to other people. That turns people off. Let's figure that out. Amen? Let's be like that for one another. We live together. So let's be like that for one another. Number three, it's a couple's retreat. The church is a couple's retreat. It's amazing to me how much the Bible focuses in on marriage. Let's read there together. In Ephesians chapter 5, I'm not even going to read about the wise because that's none of my business in a sense. You know, I've, I've been married 22 years. I, I'm not even going to go there. I'm just going to worry about myself. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing and uh, with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. That's a freebie. A lot of times God calls us to do things out of just a whole noble thing. You know, just, just do it because it's good. Do it because you love me. Do it because that's what he says. You know what? Love your wife because it's going to come back to you. It's going to benefit you. You love your wife, there is a direct, you know, reciprocity right there. You love your wife, it's going to pay good dividends. He says, after all, no one who ever hates his own body, uh, ever, hate, ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and become united with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. How does Paul compare us to church and, and our relationship with God? It is like a marriage. He didn't say it's like a father and son relationship. It's more like a marriage. And he says it's a supreme, it's a profound mystery. You know, it's a couple's retreat. It's, it, if anything that resembles more of Christ's relationship with us, it's our marriages. Let's focus. Amen? Let's focus. There's an old African legend. There was a king who he didn't want to marry anybody. So he's getting along, and he says, I'm going to get married. And he uh, looked out the window, and he, he saw this woman, and she was a beggar, and he was committed. He says, I'm, I'm going to marry this woman, or I'm going to commit suicide. A little bit drastic, but amen. He said, uh, so this woman, uh, and here's the same by C.S. Lewis about that story. He says, he is King Kohitua who after 20 years still hopes that the beggar girl will one day learn to speak the truth and watch behind her ears. That's Christ's relationship with us as a church. There's so much love, there's so much patience that God shows us. There's always hope. 
even through all of our dysfunction, even through all of our picking, our fighting, our warts, our personalities, there's always the hope that we will tell the truth and watch between our ears. C.S. Lewis. Lena Chow, a famous, famous woman. Beautiful. You know, one time I was really, we were in the midst of all the moving and interviewing for the West, and I appreciate my wife. I was just grumpy. I was just mean. I was just bad. She looked at me, she said, and, and that time I was still working, trying to transition, and Lena had already quit her job. She was like, quit. And then I was just grumpy, and Lena looked at me and said, is it because you're still working? And I said, that's why you're so mean? And grumpy, and I thought about that. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. I, I felt like, why are you sitting around lounging while I'm working two jobs? You know, there's just a lot of bitterness sometimes in us, isn't it? And then we compare ourselves in the church, outside our church, in the marriage, and this and that. And you know what? Lena, I appreciate Lena. Lena's a very gentle woman. And she goes, Is it because you're still working, Ken? I said, Yes, yes. <laughs> it is. You're right. You got me. Last point. It is a department of war. Well, we're a hospital. Yes, we are. We're a rehab place. Yes, we are. We're a couple's retreat. Yes, we are. We're a family. But it's also the ministry of war. And I'm going to close this out. Up until 1947 in the U.S., it wasn't the ministry of defense. I think because after two world wars, I think they were like tired of war. So I think they decided to go, we're the ministry of defense. We're not going out anymore. But if you look at the Bible, it's the ministry of war. We do not fight like the world does, but we wage war in the spiritual darkness of this world. That's who we are. You know, in the next two months, we want to make sure that all of our family groups are in place. In the next two months, we want to make sure that all of our relationships are set so that we can get those one another, discipling, discipleship, whatever you want to call it, relationships in place. We want to get strong. We want to get these family groups in place so that we can wage war. It's going to be good. We're going to get in shape. Amen? We get in better shape for those that are in shape. We get in better shape. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful to you that you have adopted us as sons and daughters into your church. Father, help us to always be grateful that our names are written in heaven and that uh, the Holy Spirit is a deposit for our salvation. Father, help us have a great week this week. Help us to love up on one another. Help us to keep watch over the week. Help us to really reach out to our neighbors, our friends, and really preach the word. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a great week.